This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. From the quarantined ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, where black lives matter, but moloids are a whole different story. They don't it's feel our pain. pleasure. They can't feel any pain. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 579 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. It's me, the Internet's Joe Patrick, and thank you so much to the birthday boy, All right. Matt Bomb, for making me read that political statement. It's not political. They, I mean, sure, they cry and they beg, but they don't feel any pain. They're just moloids. Uh-huh. And it's, my name is Matt Bum. This week, we've got a whole pile of new comics to review from Wednesday, June 24th. After that, it is up to the TGen Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're going to tell you all about what we are forced to read next week. And finally, you might know him as Ryan Mount, but the Amazon ladies of Themyscira like to call him Hebrews, and he's reviewing Kyle Stark's old head for our Take a Look, It's in the Book segment. Matt, it's only been one week, and they already miss reviewing old comics. But we've got a job to do, damn it. And while we might not be the best at what we do, it's safe to say what we do ain't pretty. Ain't that the truth, bub? It's review time in the ziggurat. You heard him, folks, and we are officially back in New Comics Biz this week. We've got everything from a Kree scroll invasion to one dangerous devil on the pile. Joe Patrick, before we get started, the official THN bartender is serving up a cocktail of the week because if you're reading comics sober, uh, well, you're probably doing it right. Justin, what are you pouring for us this week? All right, nerds, so I guess this week we are talking an alliance between... Uh, the scrolls and, and the Cree, uh, and really for the color, uh, and to pay homage to, to Ronan. Um, and there was really only one drink that came to mind after doing a little bit of research. And it is a classic, and it's typically uh, known around the world as the aviation. But for this particular uh, application, we're going to call it the Blood of Xandar. So we all know that uh, from the film that. You know, Ronan hated Xandar. Uh, he was Cree. We also know that there was a, uh, you know, a, a Xandar scroll uh, war that was actually in the comics. So uh, I think the blood of Xandar here is the best way to go. Um, so we're going to use four ingredients. Um, you're going to use gin. Um, I would definitely prefer a London draw style. Um, you're going to use uh, lemon juice, maraschino liqueur. And last but not least, which is the most important part of this cocktail, is the creme de violette. You could do it one way where you're going to be more gin heavy and you're going to use two ounces of gin, a half ounce of maraschino, a half ounce of lemon juice, and then a quarter ounce of creme de violette. You're going to put all that in a shaker. You're going to pour that into a coupe up um, and then express lemon. So don't forget, you know, when we're talking these recipes from week to week to week, always use a little variation. I don't think a quarter of an ounce here or there. Uh, it's just like cooking, you know. You, you make a recipe, you try it a bunch, you get it down, you love it, and then you just kind of start tweaking and adding. You're like, oh, I love that, but I think it'd be really great with that. That's how you That's how you start really making really cool 
cocktails that kind of come out of left field. Um, and it really kind of catch people by surprise. All right, nerds, that's it. Matt, since it's your special day, why don't you lead us off? But first, Excelsior, buddy. Excelsior, brother. I'm going to start us off with Aquaman, number 60 from DC. This one's written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Miguel Mendoncha. I'm pretty sure it's Cha, because it was like a little <laughs> under the sea. Here's what happens. Aquaman is reunited with his daughter, Andy. Didn't know he had a kid. But Ocean Master is still on the loose. <laughs> Mira wakes up from her coma, and the solicit says she's more powerful than ever. We don't really see that in this issue. We just kind of see her wake up. Dolphin. Didn't know she was in a coma. Yeah. Dolphin is here, and I'm still not real clear on who she is or what she does. I really like the way DeConnick- Didn't know Dolphin was here either. <laughs> I really like the way DeConnick writes Arthur, though. He's still very regal, but he talks like a dad. I will say there's a weird part where Dagon's army is doing this, like, old-school army chants, like, I don't know, but I've been told Dagon's yeah. army grew tenfold. Like, where do they get that shit? I would think they'd be like, no. Screw those Earth people. We're not doing any of that crap. Right? Maybe the <laughs> army got it from them. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. I really Appropriation. Wasn't, I really wasn't sure what was going on here, but I didn't feel too lost. I figured it was issue 60. Might be a good place to check in with Aquaman. Mendoncha's art is really solid, and I would expect to see more from him soon. There's still a lot of weird underwater stuff going on, like a diner where they're cooking, a lot of chair sitting and shit like that that I can't help but notice every time I look at an Aquaman comic book now. Not <laughs> Kelly Sue DeConnick's fault. The book does seem to be in a pretty solid place, and this wasn't a bad read. I'm giving it a skim it because it was nothing huge, but not bad at all. I mean, look, it's part three of an ongoing story, so... Uh the the level of uh, new reader friendliness is only so high. Right. So uh, I'm giving it a skim it as well, not because it's bad in any way, but because it's like, look, back up two issues and start with part one. Well, I thought it was fine. That's my uh, fault. I just looked and went issue 60. That's a good place to sure, catch up, right? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I read it. And I have to be honest. Like, I don't really love all of the... Um, mythological folklore stuff they keep trying to shove onto Aquaman. Really? You know? I mean, I, yeah, I just, it's, I thought it was always there kind of. I, I Maybe it is. I don't know. I just, I, it's not that interesting to me, but I do think it's well-written. The art was great. The art was really and good. And I, I think that like, if you had picked up the story from the beginning, you'd probably enjoy it a lot more than I did. <laughs> so I'm giving it a strong skim it. Joe Patrick, batter up. Speaking of which baseball is back, baby. It's happening. Oh boy. It's all happening. Oh, boy. It's gonna Everybody's going to get the COVID. We're all going to watch it on TV like it's meant to be watched anyway. So Yeah, right. It's true. <laughs> My first review is of Danger Devil, number one from Source Point Press. From the minds of occasional THN love slave Tony Doug Wright and artist Joe Hammerl. I think it's Hammerly. I think it's Hammerly because I knew another Hammerly back in the day. All right. Hey, we'll go Hammerly. Yeah. Comes this story of masked agents from the Mystic Bureau dedicated to protecting the world from all supernatural threats. TD Dubs has a lot going on in this first issue, but my main concern was that it was too much. More than the average reader could keep up with even. There are a ton of concepts at work here, and it just felt like I was missing something. 
Hammer Lee's art has an excellent superhero style, and it is a great fit for this supernatural adventure. I did have a lot of fun reading Danger Devil number one, even though I did feel a little lost at times. I'm giving it a strong skim it. I'm with you. I love TD Dubs. I think he's a great writer. I think Hammerly is a very cool artist and did a great job here. There was a yep. lot happening. And it's just there there were so many different right. and I get, ideas at play. I get that you want to introduce a lot of things to be like, here's what you can come to expect from this book. But you know, you can also parse it out a little bit. And I don't think the book would have suffered for that. I'm giving it a buy it because I think they did a good job, but there was a lot going on. I will say that. I just think that as a first issue, it could have been paced a little better. Fair enough. Next up, Matt Bomb. Remember Empire? Well, it's finally happening. Just like baseball. Is it though? I don't even know. <laughs> Just like baseball, Empire is making its return with Avengers. Empire, number one from Marvel. This was written by Al Ewing with art by Pepe Larraz. The Avengers are called to the formerly blue section of the moon. There they find a Garden of Eden growing in its place. And it's protected by the Swordsman. Sort of. Not that Swordsman, but this is the Swordsman that became a Cree warrior? It's the, no, it's the... Look, you're talking about concepts that are decades old. I know. Didn't make any sense back in the day. That's why I was like, okay. It's the... It's the, it's the it's the <laughs> essence of the original swordsman in the body of a Kotati. Oh, Kotati. Being. Which is like yes. a plant person kind of thing? Like a plant person, right. Okay. Al Ewing writes most of the issue from Tony's perspective. And quite honestly, I am ready for him to take over both Iron Man and the Avengers. This was really well written. The Kree and the Skrulls have teamed up. They're on their way to mop up the Avengers under the lead of the half Kree, half Skrull, all hunky Hulkling. Empire is turning out to be way more fun than I thought it was going to be. Pepe Larraz is an artist that has not only come into his style, he is now working at a higher level than I've ever seen. This book looks amazing. Ewing's script is excellent. He's not messing with the lineup either, so it works right alongside with the current Avengers books, which is nice. Empire is setting up to be a really fun cosmic crossover. And the last page was fan-fucking-tastic. No pun intended, but you don't know what I mean when you see it. I'm giving this a buy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a ton of fun. It's it, 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 it felt like a very old school right crossover event. Yeah, um, they keep putting Laraz on these like Avengers mini events, like No Road Home or whatever. Uh, ain't no road home no ain't more. No road home no more. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and uh, he's just he's so great. He's so great. Mm -hmm. um, the whole cosmic, uh, the whole cosmic messiah. Uh, storyline from the Avengers with Mantis and the plant people is one of the dumbest uh, <laughs> storylines in Avengers history. Who was it? Who wrote that originally? Oh, God, I don't even know. I mean, it was decades ago. It was the 60s or 70s. Okay. So uh, pre or post Cree Scroll War? Uh, pre Cree Scroll War, I think. Okay. And and so like to revisit this in the modern day is just such an odd move, but if anyone can do it, it's Al Ewing. I loved this. Yeah, man. Uh, do not try to make any sense of it in comparison to the current goings on in Iron Man. Uh, it does not matter. Uh, but yeah, this was great. I'm giving it a buy it. 
Back at you, Joe Patrick. All right. My next one is five years. Number 10 from abstract studios. This is the final issue of Tony Moore's unlikely crossover between all of his different series. It comes to a close here and it is really just wonderful. Uh, Moore masterfully weaves together concepts that really have no business being part of the same universe in a way that makes total sense. Each character feels like themselves as he brings all of their different voices together. The world is somehow saved, but Moore leaves the door open for further adventures to come. I've read each of Terry Moore's series separately and enjoyed them immensely. Strangers in Paradise, Echo, Rachel Rising, Motor Girl. I am beyond impressed that he's been able to bring these concepts together into a satisfying narrative with his usual artistic brilliance. Five years felt like an experiment that shouldn't have worked, but ended up exceeding all of my expectations. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I was too far behind on the series to just read this one, and I don't want to ruin it because I've read the first five it. issues, yeah. and I love it, and I, I'm going to finish, but I just didn't want to spoil it. it so. It's just, it's it's so great. Speaking of great, take us to Image. I'm reviewing That Texas Blood, number one from Image. This was written by Chris Condon with art by Jacob Phillips. Condon is the colorist on Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' crime noir masterpiece series, Criminal, but here he's writing, and he has an excellent script that follows a 70-year-old sheriff in Paris, Texas, on his birthday, no less. This is a rough read for an older dude on his birthday, by the way. <laughs> the story You ain't 70. No, I just feel like it. The story starts a little slow, but it sets a fantastic tone for a plot that quickly builds to a very bad birthday for a guy that just needed his goddamn casserole dish back. <laughs> this was my must-read pick of the week last week based on the glowing review from Chip Zdarsky and The Solicit, and it did not disappoint. Fans of Criminal and the Coen Brothers crime films like No Country for Old Men will love this comic. Great art from Phillips for... I don't know why I was expecting Wait, him to mimic yeah, Sean Phillips because they have the same fucking last name or something. <laughs> but he definitely yeah. has his own style and he did a great job here. This was an excellent first issue. I'm giving this a buy it. So I I, I want to compare this for just a minute to um, my next review, which is Ash and Thorn. Uh, the art here is a very similar level of detailed uh, in terms of like it being like very sketchy and you know not like super, um, it's not super detailed, right? I didn't it's, think it was it's that very sketchy though. But I thought that uh, Jacob Phillips did such an amazing job invoking uh, uh, the tone and and uh, the feeling of his characters. Yeah. Uh, his facial expressions were outstanding. Like I knew exactly what each character was feeling without even any dialogue present. Well, there's a thing um, he does the whole time too, where the main character's expression, like literally never changes until something that happens towards the end of the book. And when it yeah. does, you go, Oh shit. <laughs> like This is <Right>. bad. <laughs> um, I, I thought that um, like you're spot on with your uh, with your comparison to uh, the Coen brothers. This felt very much like a season of X of FX's Fargo. Yeah. To me, quirky, uh, interesting characters. Yeah. Uh, I loved this. 
Uh, I'm giving it a, a huge buy. It it was uh, it was just a joy to read. I really enjoyed it. There were just little things they did too, like the sheriff spoke to his wife the whole time on the walkie-talkie. Yeah, and, yeah. Like and the she dep- didn't. She doesn't like the cellular. Yeah, and the, she doesn't like the cellular. And the deputy's like the walkie-talkie is for police business. She's like, well, I'm the I'm the sheriff's wife, so I say that makes it police business. And he's like. Hello, Mrs. Sheriff's wife. She's like, hello, Ted. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Little things like that. They're just really intelligent, well-written dialogue that makes you like the characters, you know? Yeah, really, really great, well-done character moments for sure. Your turn, Joe Patrick. All right. Next up, uh, as I said, I am reviewing Ash and Thorn, number one from Ahoy Comics. The premise here is deceptively simple. What if Buffy Summers discovered she was the Slayer in her mid-70s. The idea has a ton of potential, which is just barely explored by writer Maria McCourt and artist Sue Lee. The plot of this first issue is very sparse and a little too familiar with Chosen One Lottie Thorne learning her new role as a monster hunter on the fly. Other than the obvious hook of Lottie's age, the writer doesn't really bring anything new to the concept. Unfortunately, Sue Lee's art is also a bit lackluster for me. Uh, you know, I, I compared it to uh, a, a, the similar a similar level of detail uh, to Jacob Phillips's art in That Texas Blood, but here it was just scratchy, nondescript, nothing stood out, uh, and so it didn't really hook me any further. Uh, Ash and Thorn number one is a comic with a great concept, but it's struggled in its execution for me. I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah, this feels like the kind of book where they could have just hit the ground running and told me a story about this character already established, already doing what they do with maybe a couple flashbacks to the origin or something like that. And I think it would have worked a lot better. I don't like to talk trash about art because I'm not an artist and it feels really unfair. You know, it's like that. It's like me going, that was a really bad roundhouse backflip kick. You know, like I can't do that shit. But I mean, <laughs> if you don't like it, you don't like it. But I agree. The art didn't work well here. And it doesn't seem like it's a lack of talent, but it seems like maybe this artist is a little out of their depth. You know what I mean? Like perhaps yeah, they I mean, would be. I don't know. I, I, perhaps I'm, I'm art like this it. might be better in more of a day to day kind of soap opera type thing. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer here. Uh, like, I don't want to compare it to other Ahoy books, but it's hard not to because other Ahoy books, you've got like right Richard Pace, Leonard Kirk, June Brigman. Yeah, you've got these. You've got these legendary creators on these books, and and this just did not. It did not stand up to the level of quality for me that Ahoy has put out up till now. Yeah, there was kind of a one of these things is not like the other. I'm giving it a skimmit as well. Yep. My next review is Sleeping Beauties, number one from IDW. This was adapted by Rio Yours with art by Allison Sampson. A small town witch with seemingly good intentions kills two meth heads and frees a young woman living in their camper. Meanwhile, a sleeping sickness that only affects women is spreading across the world. This comic is adapted from a novel by Stephen and Owen King. I don't know who Owen King is, but I'm going to go ahead and say that it's Stephen King's husband. Uh, I'm going to say it's the other kid that did not become as much of a success. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
The comic definitely feels like an adaptation. The dialogue is very solid, but the story, just like that last issue, gets a little lost in the art. Now, adapting any novel to comics has got to be harder than making a movie out of a novel with the amount of editing that takes place to fit the story into the confines of a comic. I just don't love this kind of loose photo referenced art style. And some of the action was really hard to follow because of it. There is a very solid story here. And I think this is a good artist. Again, I just have to wonder if she's a little out of her depth with this kind of storytelling. So I'm giving it a skim it on the strength of the story. I just, I, I, part of me wants to give it a leave it because some of the art was so bad, but I don't want to say that, <laughs> you know? Like there were, there were moments of the art that were really good where you saw real emotion on people's faces and I definitely got the small town feel. It just broke down in the action scenes. There was just some weirdness okay. in the action scenes and that just sure. lost me. I can only give yeah, a yeah. it. So, all right, I'm going to take you off the hook here. I mean, good story, rough art. That's a, that's, you know, textbook skim it and that's fine. Sure. Um, at, I am looking at the art and as a person that, that, occasionally arts uh i can definitely see that some of this is very clearly photo reference no doubt and uh and then they have to go off book to do things that they don't have reference for and that's where it falls apart and i totally get it you know it, like there's a lot of time spent on the static poses yeah uh, you know, the portraits of characters and whatnot. And then there are scenes of movement or action that look like total nonsense. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that is definitely, you know, one of the, uh, one of the main drawbacks of doing photo referenced art like this, you know, if you can't back it up, if you don't have the chops to like, yes, fill in those gaps, then it's a failing. And I agree with you. It's 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 got its moments, but it's rough to look at. Um, you know, Stephen King for me is very very hit and miss. Um, so I'm giving this a skim it, um, but mainly because I totally agree with you on the art. It's it's it relies too heavily on the photo reference, and the artist just did not have the chops to like draw people fighting. To, yeah, to fill in the gaps when they didn't have the reference. And, and that's exactly. got to be tough if you're photo referencing. Like, now pick that guy up over your head and break his neck so I can draw this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure. That's hard. Final issue, Joe Patrick. All right, our final review of the week is of Captain America, colon, Marvel's snapshot, one shot from Marvel. I still don't fully Do we, understand what the fuck these are. Okay, so they are... In the vein of Marvels, right? They are snapshots of certain characters seen through the lens of normal people on the street, like Marvels. But this is not the Marvels event that's coming. What Marvels event? There was another. There was the Al Ewing thing, and then there was another like Marvels thing where different creators from the past were telling like stories. Oh, there's like Marvel's X or whatever. That's a whole different right. thing. Yeah, that's what's okay. Whatever. We're snapshot. Yeah, no, this is like this is like the third or fourth Marvel's snapshot. It's just a snapshot. Right. It's a snapshot. <laughs> just got to let it be what it is. Just let it be what it is, man. 
Uh, the latest Marvel's snapshot deals with the reality of superheroes failing the communities they've sworn to protect long after the villainous plot has been vanquished. Uh, writer Mark Russell once again steps into an absurd concept. In this case, Jack Kirby's Mad Bomb storyline from the 70s. And he adds a tremendous amount of depth and meaning. This issue addresses themes on so many different levels from the meta uh, like superhero versus regular citizen to real life racial issues being faced today. In the end, there's a very pat happy ending where everybody learns a valuable lesson, uh, which doesn't nearly cover what our world is going through right now, but it is a start. And it's all illustrated by the beautiful work of Ramon Perez and Rico Renzi. I did really enjoy this Marvel's snapshot and I am giving it a buy it. I agree they tie the end up in a little bit of a bow. Now, I think this was also created well before we were oh, in the thick of yeah. what we're going through right now with Black Lives Matter Probably, and yeah, protests yeah, yeah. and whatnot. But every Captain America comic eventually does that. That's what kind of what I expect from Cap at some point, especially with these like one-shot issues. With that said, I love Mark Russell, and I'll read anything that guy writes. And this was fantastic ramon perez and rico renzi wildly talented guys this was a great read i'm giving it a huge buy it and you know what when we have as much bad news and as much terrible shit happening in the world sometimes it's just nice to read a feel-good fucking captain america comic god damn it (laughs) (laughs) sure i kind of needed it this week i want to give this book uh extra credit for not having captain america be the one to teach the young black boy a lesson. Yeah. No, I think Russell, in the, in the I, end, like Captain America is the one that learned the lesson. I think Russell was really careful about that. And he's a smart writer. He knows what he's doing. And we yeah. don't need another last samurai or another fucking dances with wolves. Yes, you know? Right. Yeah. Like he's exactly. showing like cap knows when to step back and be like, exactly. This is not my ball game. I get it. Yep. Well done. Snicker snack. That is it for your new comics reviews this week. And snicker snack is the sound made by the Vorpal Sword in Fables number three from 2002 as it slices through enemy swords and axes. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Carl Mostart, who enjoys his snicker snacks with a dry rose like a real gentleman. That's right. It's okay to drink rose, boys. All right. <laughs> If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or better yet, be like Joe Benkis. Call us at 402-819-4894 and make the noise with your mouth. Tell us where it came from and we will play it on the show. Tell us where it came from regardless, whether you're tweeting or emailing. Well, yeah, we always need to know where it came from. We need some context, baby. Where it came from. After we're done reading our weekly comics, the job, it just doesn't end there. No, sir. The curse that makes us share a body forces us to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we must make our must-read picks for next Wednesday, July 1st. Two musts, one sentence. That's pro writing, Joe Patrick. Take fucking Two musts. Joey, what is your pick for next week? Uh, Well, let me tell you what. Uh, Apparently... 
Marvel and DC are both putting out nothing but trades next week. Yeah, they week. like took the week off. I don't know what the fucking deal is. Uh, so um, my my um, last minute pick of the week is uh, Devil's Highway, number one from artist, writers, and artisans, written by Benjamin Percy and art by Brent Schoonover. It's 36 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Is that really what AWA stands for? Artists, writers, and artisans, AWA, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, Ben Percy, you might know him from the Dawn of X, Wolverine, and X-Force books. And artist Brent Schoonover, who has worked on Batman 66, present a nerve-wracking thriller examining murder in the dark underbelly of America's heartland. That's where we live. I know. (laughs) A young woman with a dark family secret embarks on a quest to hunt down the serial killer that brutally murdered her father only to discover he is just one piece of a national network of evil that snakes around the country and hides in plain sight. The GOP. To catch the devil, she must first embrace the darkness within. You totally missed my GOP joke, Um. Well, yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> What'd you say? Sorry. You said a national network of evil that snakes across the country and hides in plain sight. And I said the GOP. Oh, it is the GOP. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I've read a couple of the AWA books. They've been okay, uh, but I really like Ben Percy. So I'm going to give this a try. Matt Baum, what's your pick for next week? My pick is All America Comics from Image. It's written by Joe Casey with art by Dustin Wynn. Cover artist Dustin Wynn and Sonia Harris. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Her last name is Vasquez. Her first name says it all. But what is it? Yeah, they don't mention what it is. And when confronted with the hidden secret of the universe, you won't believe the cosmic truth she uncovers. This is brought to you by the Wildcats version 3.0 team of Joe Casey and Dustin Wynn, reunited for the first time in 15 years. I love these two creators. I don't care what they do. I am in. Uh, yeah, for sure. I totally missed this on the list. I love that creative team a lot. If you have not read their Wildcats version 3.0 that came out from Wildstorm, it is a wonderful standalone story. You don't need to know anything about the characters or Wildstorm. You can just drop right in and read it, and it will wash your mouth out of your awful Warren Ellis feelings for his last Wildcats, which, while good, does not make him not a child molester. So there's that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to leap right to child molester, but okay. <laughs> okay. Terrible person. How's that? There you go. All, All right. right. The THN trade of the week goes to firepower volume one colon prelude trade paperback from image comics written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. It's 160 pages for $9.99. Robert Kirkman. (laughs) Robert Kirkman. Here's your solicit. Series premiere. All new series created by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney. I don't know why Robert Kirkman isn't cast, but Chris Somney is not. Because Chris Somney doesn't have any fucking TV shows. So there you go, man. Like he, I guess he has no image credits. Call me when you're either. famous, Samney. <laughs> right. Yeah. Owen Johnson's journey to China to learn about his birth parents eventually leads him to a mysterious Shaolin temple. The students there study to rediscover the firepower, the lost art 
of throwing fireballs. Cool. <laughs> a power they claim will be needed soon to save the world. Fuck yeah. Will Owen... Yeah, 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 look, when this shit comes down, I want a guy that can throw fireballs on my side. Right. Hell yes. <laughs> will Owen Johnson be the first person in a thousand years to wield the firepower? We can only hope, because otherwise it's going to be a real short series. Yeah, no doubt. Was this a, a monthly series that we missed? No, this is a prelude graphic novel setting up a new ongoing series. Okay, because I looked at it and yes. I was like, volume one, what are we talking about here? Did we miss Yeah, this? yeah, no, this is a, this is a, like an introductory graphic novel that sets the stage for the upcoming Firepower ongoing series by Kirkman and Chris Somney. Got it. Chris Somney. I don't, he's another guy. Put his name on something, I'm in. I don't care if I he's definitely want to read it. Garfield, I don't care if he's drawn My Little Pony, I am down. Mm. And I fucking hate Garfield. <laughs> okay. But you love My Little Pony. I'm fine with My Little Pony. It is what it is. I get it. It's the furries that love it so much that make me fucking sick. It's not My Little Pony's Matt, fault, all right? They're called bronies, Matt. Whatever. They're called bronies. They, we all know what they are. Not all furries are bronies, but all bronies are furries. We all know that shit. God, you're such a shamer. Or which one of the ones want to have sex with the animals? Do the fuzzies want to have sex with the animals or the furries? I can never remember. I hate them both. So listen, Matt, furries don't want to have sex with animals. They just like to dress up in animal costumes and have sex. Good Lord. Please take us out of this. Be sure to hit up your local comic shop and add these comics to your list so you can read along at home and let us know what you're reading too over at our Facebook page. Um, and honestly, I want to know. We were posting our reading list for you guys beforehand so you could catch up and see where we were at. Let us know if you want us to keep doing that because we can. We always make our picks ahead of time and we can throw them up yeah. so you guys are ready too. Let us know. I mean, it was different when we were doing old comics, but... Yeah. I suppose we could still do it with, sure. with current stuff. If they decide, well, I'm not going to listen to the show until I read all my shit, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Fresh out of his sex kennel and all hosed off, we are happy to welcome one of our favorite love slaves for this month's installment of Take a Look. It's in a book. Ladies and gentle nerds, he's not just a new dad. He's reviewing Kyle Starks' old head, too. Put your hands together for Mr. Ryan Hebrews Mount. Recording live from the new Granny Goodness Orphanage, somewhere between underground and between time and space, it's Ryan Mount, a.k.a. Hebrews, and welcome to the Double Dribble edition of Take a Look. We're going to have back-to-back reviews of new books that both deal with basketball in their own way. Next month, we're going to be taking a look at Gene Liu Yang's Dragon Hoops, but this month, we're going to be taking a deep dive look at Old Head by Kyle Starks. Old Head was written, drawn, lettered by Kyle Starks, and with colors provided by Chris Schweitzer. Kyle Starks is best known for his work on Rock Candy Mountain, Sex Castle, and Rick and Morty comics. Old Head is the story of Nash Glibben Jr., a.k.a. The Knife, a.k.a. Old Head, a former pro basketball player who was solid but never great. He is known for his fighting more than his jump shot. And his biggest regret is not having that one career-defining moment. And it is seven amazing pages that we get to completely know this character. We understand his entire life, his motivations, and it's really just a wonderful character piece to set the book up. 
Next, we're introduced to Nash's daughter, Willie. There's a foundation here that harkens to Stark's other works, like in Mars Attacks, of where he's really able to give a good idea of what the parent-child relationship is. Before we get too long into that relationship of just a son returning home for his to plan his mother's funeral, we drift onto a full-on monster war, and it becomes an action-horror-movie-style comic. However, even though it's a a quick switch over, you are invested in Nash and immediately have the depth and weight of the relationship with his daughter uh, that doesn't really matter who these bad guys are. Uh, It could have been any type of monster and still worked very well in the story. If you're like me, not a fan of vampires, don't worry, because the rest of the story is so solid and compelling and fun that you are there for Nash's journey no matter who he has to face along the way. The story overall should appeal to you whether you love, hate, or just indifferent to vampires or basketball. The work stands on alone. Part of the charm of Stark's works is excellent cartooning. Style may have simple line work, but he's great with emotion and the action bounds off the pages. There are a lot of artists who mimic other styles and we find enjoyable, but Stark's art is one of one. Also, he should be commended for his incredible hand-drawn onomatopoeias that always make me laugh. And in this book include... Get wrecked, creep, or you lost that love and feeling as they punch monsters in the face. For lack of a better way to put it, his work is like a great stack of pancakes. It's not complicated, but it's perfect anytime, and you always leave satisfied. Chris Schweitzer provides colors, and I love the flat color palette here. You still see all Stark's work there, and Schweitzer's intermittent use of bright colors are a perfect complement. One villain is a patterned shirt, and it really pops against the other henchmen there. And you understand who that character is just with that simple color trick. And then when there's blood on the page, it's so such a stark difference between everything else going on that it just really makes the story come alive. My one small critique with the book is that the overall arc of the story was a bit muddied. The introduction of our main character was fun, and truthfully, if we just got a book about an old washed-up NBA player, you know, I I would have loved it. To be fair, Starks admitted in a previous podcast that him and I had that we both loved the NBA, so any chance to write somebody in that mold had got to be a lot of fun for him. The rest of the book plays out like a vampire tale, and just at the end, it all swings back to basketball. I missed some of the basketball aspects in the middle, um, wondering when it was going to come back around, but... Truthfully, it didn't retract from the story, and it was a total blast to read. The humor in this book is turned down compared to maybe something if you've read Stark's work in the past, like Assassination and Sex Castle. And maybe it doesn't have quite the same heart as his work on Rock Candy Mountain Mars Attacks. But when you read this book, there is no doubt that you are reading a Kyle Stark's comic, which is a great thing. Not all comic books have to be in the Eisner discussion to be considered great quality and entertainment. Old Head is the equivalent of a great studio comedy or action movie. May not win any awards, but you had fun on the journey and it was a solid investment of your time. While it was a successful Kickstarter project, you can still purchase a copy for $20 from kylestarks.storeenvy.com and hopefully soon coming to a publisher. Check out Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer on Instagram, and my rating is very obvious, nerds. It's a buy it, so there might not be a lot of copies left, Go get it right now. I guarantee you'll have a good time. Thanks again for this first installment into Double Dribble. Again, next month we'll be taking a look at Gene Liu Yang's Dragon Hoops. And you can find me on Twitter at Hebrews. Thanks again. Come
Excelsior! That is it for THN 579. And next week, we're proving everybody that calls us anti-American liberal snowflakes wrong by dipping into the cosmic long box to read some good old-fashioned war comics for July 4th weekend. Nothing says America like war. That's right. It's what we do best, goddammit. Joe Patrick, until next week, give these lily-livered private yahoos a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by John Taverdick via Twitter. What is your favorite comic or comic-related property that addresses civil rights through the lens of the comic book world? We're talking things like Marvel's or HBO's Watchmen series, etc., etc. We are always on the lookout for new question of the week suggestions, so please send them to me via the forums, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you want to get a hold of me. You know how to find me. I'm out there. That plural would be questions of the week, not question of the weeks. Uh, question of the weeks. Yes. <laughs> cover to cover. Cover to cover is back and the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and you could be internet famous. Remember, please keep it two minutes or less. We got to share that air. Lots of nerds out there trying to get in. If you're new to this show and you'd rather crawl face down through the mud and the blood of your own loved ones and listen to another episode, I assure you. It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com. But... Hosting that many episodes is getting very expensive. So we want to thank patrons like Anthony Serco, who just doubled his pledge on Patreon. He went from $250 a month to $500 a month. That is obscene. That is definitely double. Matt Bob, <laughs> I did not watch my buddies die face down in the muck to not get new patrons. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the aforementioned Ryan Mount, who just celebrated the birth of his second daughter with his lovely bride, Lisa, and still somehow managed to produce a segment for this week so we didn't have to. Word to you, Hebrews, thank you for your dedication to keeping us from doing any sort of work whatsoever. It is my understanding that he recorded the segment instead of naming his child. And you know what? I appreciate that. You can always name that. I think his new daughter is named Old Head. Is that right? (laughs) Old Head Mount. Yeah, Old Head Mount. It's better than Kyle Stark's Mount. You know, it's got a better ring to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might give you some Old Head. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off! I didn't really expect you to go blue like that. Wow. (laughs) Hey, you never know on this goddamn show.